Scene one, Apple, take one. Last time I was telling the story of seeing a couple films, The Fablemans, Empire of Light, and Babylon, and how I was reflecting on about a decade in post-production in Hollywood. And I think I told some stories about rising in the ranks, going from like a part-time job to being a manager and working with the projectionists in the old lab and how there was a lot of film history I was exposed to. So I wanted to do a part two, and I've also decided I'm, I am gonna put this out as part of my film note show as some bonus episodes for season two, which starts in January. It's in between Christmas and New Year's right now. And the other couple things I was thinking about as I had some more time to reflect on the good old days in Hollywood, in the industry, is there's so much that goes into filmmaking. And when I was younger and thinking of making movies, it was about writing and directing. Never wanted to act. I wasn't initially interested in editing, but in learning to do the web series Freshco Magnet Men, which is on my YouTube channel. There's 11 seasons. And my buddy and I taught ourselves how to edit over various like cheap or free film editing tools and programs. I think we used like four or five different programs over the first couple seasons. And then for a long time, I used Final Cut and then I moved to Premiere Pro and now I use DaVinci. But I never thought about post-production other than editing. I knew there was color correction and sound mixing and all that stuff. But I didn't really know how distribution or anything worked. And that's another thing that I'm really thankful about working at Deluxe. As stressful as it was at the end and how glad I was to have left, again, in retrospect, now that five years has gone by, I'm really thankful that I had almost 10 years there and I worked in the industry, I never, and I mentioned this last time, I never took it for granted. I remember being stressed out and going and having to be terrible. And of course, when you're in a campaign for anything, I mean, you work at a tent company, it's kind of like working an event. I worked in restaurants all through high school and college and you know, you work New Year's Eve parties and stuff and it's crazy, but it's kind of like fun. <laughs> so we would just crush out as I mentioned last time, like sometimes you have a big campaign, you're doing 200 or 400 versions of a movie. I mean, I remember doing Dumbo and it's just like, oh my God, like a big movie like that, it's going to every territory in the world, every language there is in the world, every format there is, because it needs to play every single theater, no matter what. And you just, do, you just watch that movie over and over and over for like six weeks and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So again, at the end, as happy as I was to have gone through all that stuff, I was really happy to have left because I didn't want to be a manager and run an office and be at a computer and do Excel spreadsheets. I could have just gotten a regular office job. And again, like you're going into the deluxe building 
on a technology campus. Hasbro was there and a bunch of other things like that. And I mean, I could cover, I would cover people's lunches and cover people's breaks and I would dip in all these theaters and I was able to be part of, we had uh, 4DX come in, which is the company that, and, and I was able to be part of this. We had a test theater that we basically assigned to them and they spent almost a year in there. 4DX is the theater technology that enables you to have, so it's a, this is really fascinating. It's like a tri-projector program. So basically if you're in a theater and it's running this way, the projector is back here and it's shining on the front wall, that's where you watch the movie on the screen. And of course your peripheral goes like, I mean, I can still see my fingers. I can still see my fingers this far back. Now I, now I can't, now I can't. So this is how far your peripherals go out. So 4DX created this technology that allows the ends of the screen to continue all the way down to the back of the theater. So even if you do this, you would still be able to see the extended visual all the way to the back. So it gives you this encompassing feel. And I worked at Deluxe and I was in there and helped run content for them and helped set them up and brought them into the projector booth and helped them switch out components and did all of this stuff. I think I mentioned last time that we helped develop the first Dolby Atmos Envision. I mean, Atmos has been around for a while, but the first Dolby Vision theater in the world and it's they have a technology called true true black and most of the time you're watching a grayscale projection and mostly the white is pure white but the black is never quite pure black it's mostly a dark gray and partly that's configurations of screens and projectors and all those settings and it's really hard especially regular theaters. I mean, they're showing content like 10 or 12 hours a day, seven days a week. All that stuff goes out of calibration all the time. Your color time is off, sync is off, all that stuff is off. Most people will never notice. But when I watched the Dolby Vision test and it, it came up with like uh, a white screen and it said, uh, this is white. And then it cuts to a black screen. And it said, most people think this is black. And then it says, but it's not. And then it says, this is black. And it cuts to true black. And all of us that went in and saw that, and we would bring people in. I'm like, have you seen the true black test? And people are like, no. And we would watch them watch it. And every single person was like, oh my God, I've never seen true black on a movie screen. And then you start to realize, like, not only have I never seen True Black in a theater ever in my life, but I've never QC'd a movie that had True Black because it's the only projector and the only theater in the world, much less in LA, much less any of the deluxe theaters that has True Black. And once you see that, it's like if, you, if this is the extent of the white scale and then going to through gray to black goes this way, we were here and now true black is here so now there's all this extra bandwidth in the grayscale and i'm kind of a movie snob because of 10 years of deluxe because i want to watch 
movies in the theater with proper sound and all that stuff. I don't go to IMAX a lot, but like when Dune came out, I saw it at IMAX and there was a couple other movies uh, we saw in IMAX. And most people will never know, but there's two main commercial aspect ratios for film. It's scope or flat, and that's it. Scope is basically what people think of as widescreen. It's the one that has kind of the bars and it's like wider and narrower. Flat is more like a rectangle. And so when you go to theaters, there's three configurations of screens. Because now a lot of places have an IMAX theater and IMAX is a special format. And other than that, there's scope or flat. So when you go into a theater, they have what they call a native scope or a native flat screen. And that means the theater is either flat, which is like a rectangle, or it's widescreen, which is wider and narrower. And if you pay attention when you're in a theater the next time, especially when the trailers and the coming attractions and the previews and all that stuff come out, sometimes you'll see the uh, edge of the screen is here, and then the edge of the image is here, and it's pillar boxed or letter boxed. That means they have a scope and a flat container or a flat and a scope container, or whatever. You don't need to know what any of that stuff is, but it drives me crazy because nobody in the theater cares. All they care about is, do we have a movie playing on time in the theater it's supposed to play in? But that's one of the things we had to check for. And that's one of the things that you learn when you work in post-production. So I'm so thankful to have learned all of that. Like, what are flat and scope? I mean, all my projects now, I natively do everything in flat because it's it makes it, so 16 by nine, which is the normal modern TV screen aspect ratio, is default. That's like what YouTube is, that's what most computer screens are, that's what most TVs are. So if you take a flat image, it takes 16 by nine and it just crops it top and bottom. I mean, a little bit, it's not very much, but it makes it feel a little more cinematic. Now, if you go scope, that's where it's really, it has like the bars on the top and bottom. So a real easy trick when you're in like indie film and no money production is you just shoot stuff on your DSLR or your iPhone or your GoPro or whatever, and then you put it in your editing software into a flat configuration. And if you are ever gonna put it out, <clears throat> I mean, even in streaming, most streaming platforms are going to put content out in 16 by nine, so it fills the screen of your computer or TV or flat or scope. Especially things like Amazon and Netflix, when they're wanting to put stuff out into a theater run, like Glass Onion just came out, and they had it in the theater for a week because it wants to be up for awards consideration. In order to do that, it has to play in the theater. And then they're gonna screen it online, or stream it. So it is a big deal, both for all the at-home streaming content and cinema content to have everything fit in the parameters of what works commercially. So while I spent almost 10 years not doing any production work at all, I was in post-production. And one of the proudest things I have from those days is one of my friends who was a QCer and was on my team, amazing guy. I credit him singularly for turning the non-union deluxe QC department into an IATSE union shop. He ran with that 
he got all the signatures, he did all the meetings, he did everything in order to flip it. And I'm really proud of him for doing it. IATSE is one of the main union shops in the entertainment industry and encompasses a lot of people, including editors and projectionists and all of that. Now, I was not able to join because I was a manager, but I really rallied for their cause. I had to remain publicly neutral, but privately I was rooting for them. And so I was really happy to see that because those people are able to now change jobs and yet maintain their union benefits as they stay in the industry, even if they go from deluxe to somewhere else, or they change from like a projectionist to a QCer to an editor or what have you. And that's one of the things great about LA and especially the Hollywood system is it's all union based. So it makes it really hard to get in, but once you get in, then you're able to get jobs because you're on call lists and you have benefits and all that stuff. So I didn't mean to get into all the union aspects of that, but now being outside of the industry, and you know, to be fair, it does make indie production harder because if you wanna work with professional actors or professional anybody, you have to abide by all the union rules, which means you have to pay them a certain amount and you have to provide, you know, it has to be insurance and there has to be a certain number of working hours and you have to follow the rules. If you're doing indie stuff, you don't have to pay anybody. You can just have a bunch of your friends come over and just film stuff in your house and like do whatever you want. Of course, you're limited by the fact that they may or may not be professional people that know what they're doing. But again, I learned so much from all that post and it was really inspiring watching these films. And side note, I always stay in the theater until the credits are over. It was a while if the theater staff comes in and they're trying to clean up, I'll be like, fine. And partly that's because I always like to see the music and the music is near the end of the credits, but also it's out of respect of all those people. So I encourage you or challenge you, especially for Marvel movies, this is a great thing because they have the tag at the end. Everyone watches the credits now, but it's a great way to listen to all the music. You avoid the crowd because everybody leaves all the theaters at once as soon as the credits start. Stay for five or 10 minutes, watch all the credits. You learn a lot by seeing, oh, they had 150 stunt people in this movie. Like, oh my God. like you can start to pay attention to whose name is on what aspect of the industry you might be interested in. Look them up on IMDb, find out, you know, where they got their start, like scroll back through the credits, you know, where did they start 20 years ago or what have you. You can also learn the breakdown because credits are usually in pieces. So it starts with the cast and then it starts going through the crew in pieces. You know, you have all the stunt people, you, you have all the camera people, you have all the sound people. Near the end will be all the special effects and post-production people. And then after that, that's all the music people. So depending on when the section you're interested in is, you may have to wait for that section, but you can learn a lot and you can do some research and you can fall into some rabbit holes. So I didn't really have a lot more stories today, but I did really want to just kind of put a bow on this remembrance of the 10 years that I was in Hollywood, in LA and working in the industry and how in retrospect, it was so magical and wonderful. And it was funny, there was a lot of people I met who were peripherally in the industry. Most of them were writer, director, producer, editors like I was. And unfortunately, I mean, let's be honest, 
most people go to Hollywood to do something and they end up doing something else. And some of them, to their credit, grind it out and they make their stuff on whatever terms they can. Most of my stuff is indie stuff that has played in some festivals and is up on screening in like Vimeo or YouTube or something like that. However, this year we're very excited because after like 10 or 15 years, and this is the good bad thing about indie stuff, is you have to do things on nights and weekends. And quite often you're like, well, we have to wait a year to save up to pay for that. And then you pay for it. And then you're like, well, now the color correction's done. Now let's wait six more months and we'll save up to pay for the audio mixing. So <clears throat> this coming year, we are gonna have five features come out, but it's taken like 10 years for those features to be done. Again, it reminds me, there was a guy at Deluxe he worked for me, he was on my team, and he had a movie that he had written and directed and it had come out. And it was like a production company and all that stuff. And it was a sad story because he basically got the film taken away from him from shitty contracts and stuff. But like, it's just a guy that I worked with for years and I never knew. And then one day somebody said something about his movie. I was like, what movie? And he's like, I'll bring a copy in for you. and I assumed it was like a, a five minute short or something he had done at film school. Nope. Feature film that was like paid for by a studio. I was like, just a guy. Nope, not just a guy. Ready director who did a movie. There was another guy who was hired by Netflix to direct a movie and it was on Netflix. It was like a Netflix production. He came into work and then all of a sudden I didn't see him for like a month or six weeks or something. And then he came back and I was like, hey, where you been? He's like, oh, I was directing a project. It, it never mentioned it or said anything about it. And then like a week or two later, somebody mentioned like, oh yeah, his project? Like that's the Netflix movie we're screening in the theater. Just a guy who works with you at the shop. But those couple people were the exception to the rule. Most of the people I knew fell into, for better or worse, a union industry job, full-time, with benefits, and then they don't do any of their projects because they're working full-time. And when you live and work in LA or New York or someplace like that, you are spending an hour getting to work and you're working eight hours at least you know, plus lunches and stuff. So it ends up being like a nine hour day, unless you're doing overtime, which a lot of times people were, or shift and a half or doubles or what have you. And then you're doing an hour commute home. So, you know, you're leaving at seven in the morning and you're getting home at like six o'clock at night. And like very few people, after you've been in a theater, watching content, writing reports all day, wants to sit down and write a script or edit a movie. You want to like, lay down and not do anything so it's tough and that's another reason why I celebrate indie film and people who make stuff because I understand how hard it is and again I learned all that through deluxe I learned so much about technology and projector systems and screening systems and I've been a technical director of a couple film festivals I'm gonna be doing it again next summer I'm very excited to help that my friend is amazing 
Miracle Makers is the film festival, so go check that out. I'll put a link up. And that's the thing. You never know who you're going to meet or who's going to be like the person, the creative partner, the muse, or whoever, or whatever. And uh, my friend who started the union at Deluxe, we're still in touch. We're going to their wedding. And he's marrying this amazing woman that he met at Deluxe. She didn't work at Deluxe, but they, you know, they bring other vendors and people to check subtitles, linguists, all these other people. And they got to know each other and started dating. And here it is, however many years later, and they're getting married. So again, amazing industry connection. And I'm so thankful that I have some long-term friends, including another friend who was a big time actor, had a big accident, like severed his Achilles tendon, was on crutches for like a year, you know, just some guy that worked nights and we would, you know, I would leave and he would come in or he would leave and I would come in and we just got, so we started chatting, had a bunch of stuff in common, like, oh, we were both in the air force and this and that and whatever. Looked him up one day. Oh, you've been on like 10 TV shows, like big shows, like famous shows, like people know you. I don't know who you are. I've never seen any of those shows. Just a guy at Deluxe that we pass in the hall sometimes. And speaking of passing in the hall, this was one last story that I wanted to say. And, you know, you are fans of people. We all have people who are like, oh my God, like if I ever saw so-and-so, like I wouldn't know what to do. And then there's other people like, we don't care about, like, so they're famous. Like, that's that guy, like I don't care. And I have run a bunch of screenings, mostly for people who were people like nobody knows. I've run screenings for colorists to check the color time, for sound designers, for composers, for producers, for writers, for directors. But most of those people were somebody that like, if I remember their name and I looked them up, I'm sure they would be on tons of movies, but they're not a household name. They're nobody famous. They're nobody you recognize. They're just people in the industry who make movies. But every once in a while, I was able to either, and mostly when I was a manager, I was escorting people, you know, wait at the elevator, so-and-so's coming, want to make sure they go directly to the screening room unless they need something, you know, just facilitate them in and out. Make sure the room's stocked, make sure the room's clean, make sure that everything's calibrated, you know. Before Oliver Stone came in, or before Sean Penn came in, or before Ben Affleck came in, the engineers went in the room and they spec'd everything out. They did a room test. You test all the speakers. You make sure everything is in sync. You make sure that the color time and the image and the focus and everything is dialed. You have custodials come in. You know, they empty the trash and they vacuum everything. You make sure everything, you know, the water is stocked and there's fresh coffee and all that stuff. Because they want to come in and they want to watch their movie and they want everything to be great. And they want to be like, thank you so much and leave and have it be nice. So I got to meet all those people and a couple other people. And it was really great. But you just realize, like when Oliver Stone comes in and you're like, oh my God, you made JFK, oh my God. Oliver Stone is a writer director who's coming in to screen the movie he made. And he just wants to watch his movie and see if it works. 
and if he's happy or not. Usually if they're coming into our screening room, the movie's done. Like they're not gonna edit it anymore. It's just, are the titles of the head and tail correct? Is everything in sync or, you know, whatever. And the first couple times you meet people like that, you are like, oh my God. And then after a while, you're just like, who's coming? Oh, it's such a pain in the ass. Like, did the room get shot? Did engineering get in? Like, why haven't they been in yet? And again, it's just like I was talking about earlier, running events, like working in a restaurant. You're like, are they done with the toast? Can we take the cake out yet? Like, just hurry up and get your ceremony over so we can have everybody leave and we can clear all the tables. But again, all that happened because I worked at Deluxe. So I'm really thankful for the 10 years that it was there. I'm really glad to live in LA. And again, I started that first talk about how sometimes I beat myself up. I'd like, if I had stayed in LA and I had worked on set, like where would I be now if I had done that for 10 years? And my wife reminds me all the time, she's like, you would be miserable. And we always want what we don't have or can't have. And I didn't ski for 15 years. And last year I started skiing again and I haven't raced since high school, which is like 20 plus years. And I went to nationals and all that happened because I don't work on set. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to support the show, please click on the link below. You can also contact me at my website if you have any questions about filmmaking or anything else. Off to the side, you'll see a couple of my books Film Notes and the Film Notes Workbook. I encourage you to check those out if you'd like to learn more about filmmaking. See you in the next episode. Scene one, Apple, take one.